Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother. Hey, League of Wildness, Wildman Dan here, and welcome to the Live Wild or Die podcast. This episode was recorded as our final pack meet from the carry challenge that we just finished in the Wild Gym League of Wildness private Facebook group. If you haven't joined it, I swear, guys, it's the most it's it's the most positive group online, hands down. Period. So if you're looking to kind of engage with some other wild people from pretty much around the world. I'd encourage you to check out the Wild Gym League of Wildness private Facebook group. And a practice that Kim and I have gotten into for these pack meets and what this recording should reflect is we've basically been sending each other a list of questions before to kind of marinate on and kind of get our mind a little bit more right, a little bit more wild before we start the conversation. So this episode, we talked about the difference between stretching and mobility. We talked about how kind of insidious getting on your device first thing in the morning can be for the rest of the day. We talked about movement versus exercise. We talked about kind of the biggest obstacles to people spending time outside. We talked about fitness standards. We talked about prescribing stretches and exercises and much more. And if you guys are enjoying the Live Wild or Die podcast, it'd really help us out if you could give us a review five stars would be much appreciated. And also, if you enjoy an episode, share it with a friend, share it with a family member, help spread the good word of the wild. And on that note, here we go. I was actually thinking about that, like, especially from a fitness perspective, how, how like the seven day week is so integrated into how you schedule and split just workouts, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's, I, I actually, I suspect it's probably not necessarily ideal. You know, maybe it's like, it'd be better to have like a 10 day cycle or something like that. But, but then there's like the scheduling aspect of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's hard to get away from that. Like Monday to Friday type of typical schedule. Oh, totally. All right, Valerie, you're already on it, but league of wildness as you guys are coming and give us a shout out. And uh, congrats, everyone, on the Masogi. You guys, the creativity, the enthusiasm, just the way you guys get after it, it's so awesome. I was, in, I was in the wilderness since Thursday with my older daughter, so it was kind of fun to come out and check in and see what everyone got into over the weekend and yesterday. But, uh, Kim, what, what was your favorite uh, Terry Masogi that you saw? Oh, I'm trying to think who it was. There, there were I, I Misogi days are like my favorite days. I love looking and seeing what everybody's doing because they're all doing the craziest stuff. I was trying to look who, because I know um Andrea has been doing an awesome job. I know she got hers done, but there was someone who did a was it a two mile it was like two mile and 30 pounds or something that was pretty awesome okay i'm not good with remembering names i should have written them down i saw john gertz did uh oh yeah he he ran to petco and then carried back the kitty litter (laughs) and this whole like hero's journey yeah oh man it was so funny yeah, there was someone who was doing garden work who carried like 50, 50 pound bags. 
wow. of like landscaping stuff. And I thought, holy cow, That's I awesome. would feel that the next day. Actually, you know, I got to pull up. There's a few more that I also should have written down. Sorry, League, but I'm going to pull up. Uh, I just want to scroll through real quick because I'm going to, they're going to pop up. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Linda, Linda Baird had the sandbag, which was legit. Jennifer always, Jennifer Leonard always just looks stoked after, you know, kind of, yeah. it's like Jennifer, Monica Moore, and you guys just have the smile of wildness. Nathan getting after as always. Peter did two miles with 24 pounds. That was legit. Nice. But (laughs) you know what I love about John Gertz is he doesn't just do it, but he makes, there's like the story behind it. Like he, the hero's journey is he called it was so awesome. Oh man. Brent doubled his plan challenge. So he did a half mile. Nice. That's awesome. Oh, and then I saw, I want to give a shout out, Brian Barnett. Uh, he kind of made, he rigged together this contraption with, yeah. I'm looking at it right now. It's kind of like just kind of a standard handle with a kind of a foam grip. And then he took paracord and put together, it looks like three or what's it? One, two, three, no, four 10 pound plates. So he was doing 40 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. I saw his rig. That was pretty cool. Patty did 3.18 carrying two three-pound dumbbells doing curls. That's awesome. Nice. The uh, loaded motion. Where did my mom did? Where did hers go? She was uh, using neon buffalo walking on the northern coast of California. Valerie, I, I love your. I'm looking at Valerie's picture right now. The glow is awesome. And you just look stoked and wild. I love it. And Arn's on the beach. Oh, man. Arn cruising around Germany, roaming with the Neon Buffalo is so awesome. I love it. Can't wait to get the rucks out, which, by the way, Kickstarter ended. Congrats on the Ocho. Yeah, awesome. Do you want to... uh, you know, we kind of both send each other questions this week. Do you want to go, let's go through yours first. And then if we have time, we can go through the ones I sent. I just, you know, I was kind of all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. No, for, I for sure want to hit up your, your floor sitting one. Cause I was actually reading about that in one of Kelly's books this morning and he made oh, a okay. really good point that I think is worth bringing up. Well, let's start with that. Okay. So, so, oh, go ahead. Can you know, why don't, why don't you read the question and then, and then go ahead and dive in. So Dan had sent the question, I'm convinced floor sitting is basically the natural way to practice mobility. I just got back from a backpacking trip. I couldn't believe how sore I was, even with the training I do. What does your floor sitting practice look like? Any tips for starting out? So it was really funny because when I read when I read that email, I had been sitting on the recliner for an hour. So I was like, oh, time to get off the recliner. So it was a really well-timed reminder. Um but I've been, it's funny because I have like six books that are active in my Kindle library right now. And three of them are Kelly Starrett books. And one of them, I didn't even realize it was a book he had that's called Desk Bound. When I picked it up, I thought, oh, it'll be like a hundred page kind of, here's why you shouldn't sit. Here's what you can do instead book. It's 700 pages. Oh, really? So I was like, wow, that is not what I expected. So I was just digging through that this morning just to see what was in it. And 
he mentioned there's a quote in here that I think a lot of people kind of allude to and kind of talk around a little bit because they don't really want to say it out loud. <laughs> it's kind of one of those elephant things. But he says, so he's talking about people who like maybe they're always hitting their workouts and they're going to the gym for an hour every day, seven days a week. But the other 23 hours, they're not doing so much. So that's what he's referencing here. He says, this means that if you eat well and work out religiously for an hour every day, but sit for all or more of your other waking hours, the sitting behavior will chip away or even cancel the benefits of your exercise. You are considered a sedentary person. And like that is something I was totally guilty of for a long time. I could be like, my workouts are hard. That makes me active. But I had a desk job. And then I was tired after my desk job. So I spent the evening sitting in the chair. So like admitting that was like, it was like a huge mindset shift for me. Just like I understood it about myself, but most people don't say it. You know, it's like people don't really want, I think they don't want to discourage people from doing whatever it is they can do, which is still important. But I think that we have to be way more aware of the time that we spend sitting. And I was like, oh, good. Someone finally said it. <laughs> yeah. Because I totally feel that. Um, I don't think you really have to do a whole much, like as far as like planning or whatever. I think if you try to spend some time on the floor every day, like just the act of getting onto the floor, like kind of does its own thing. Like you can't sit in one position on the floor for two hours. You know, it's not like, like you can, like, I think I, when I was writing out the question, I said, I can, like, if we have a movie night and we're watching like a three hour movie, I can sit in the recliner and do nothing but put my feet up. Like that might be my only movement in three hours, which is kind of gross. <laughs> you know, think about it. It's like, I haven't even gotten off the chair and then you're sore, you know, then you get up and your back hurts. Like, I think if you've been, if you get up and something hurts, it's probably a good red flag that you spent too much time in a row sitting. Well, but, when you get on the floor, like that doesn't happen because you always have to shift. Like it's hard to sit in the same position for 15 minutes without having to move. And I think because of that, it kind of automatically drives the mobility practice because you're just moving a lot. Right. I, I have, I want to backtrack just a second, but real quick, mm-hmm. we got to give some shout outs. We got the yeah. face of wildness, Zachary Reddy, who's already got some awesome comments coming through. Nathan, Nathan had to come in quick and had to bounce. We got Jennifer. We got Jeanette, Natty coming in from across the pond. Hope all is well and wild. We got Sean, Patty, Bjorn, Linda, Valerie. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And as you uh, tune in, please give us a shout out. Let us know uh, what's going on in your neck of wildness. But so, Kim, what, what you made me think of when you were talking about admitting, essentially admitting the fact that you're being sedentary for very, for several hours a day. It's kind of like what, to me, the deeper question is like, how do you address that? I guess from a more like lifestyle holistic perspective, because if you're, you know, if you have a desk job mm-hmm. at a certain point, it's like, you have to, you have to do the desk, you have to do the typing yep. or the whatever, you know, it's like, yep. you can't necessarily not do that. So is it a choice of changing what you do or creating, you know? I think we can probably, so there was something I noticed 
in my own life. So, you know, I've mentioned many times that I just grew up active. Like that was just how our family is. You know, I was in sports and we were just always busy. And then I went to college and that changed a little bit, but not too horribly. Like the internet came online. I spent more time on the computer because I found the internet just fascinating when it was brand new. But what real, but during that time, like through college and when my oldest son was young, I worked in retail and I was on my feet all day. I was sometimes working 12 to 16 hour shifts, climbing ladders on my feet, carrying boxes. So even though some stuff had declined in terms of like, what like like my variety of activity wasn't as much because I was working so much, but I was on my feet. And then I took a new job and it was a cubicle job and it was full time. And it's like, I had to do it. I needed more money. I needed better benefits for my kids. So it was what I needed to do. But along with that came office parties. It came pizza every Friday from our employers. It came ordering from ordering bread bowls and stuff from Panera. It came every single Thursday, our our employer group, we went to the bar every day after work. We worked night shift, like three to midnight, went to the bar every Thursday. So it was pizza, fruity drinks. So it was kind of like this whole conglomeration of stuff that happened at one time. So, and I think that's probably pretty common. It's not just that you're working a desk job, you get into the office lifestyle as a whole, you know? And then it's like, you're, you're mentally drained from work. You probably ate pizza for lunch or McDonald's for lunch because it's right there next door to your downtown job. And then you go home and you got no energy. And so you sit on the couch. And I think I think that is probably something that happens more often than not when people are. So it's like maybe you have to work the office job and maybe it's the best job for you. But there's other time you can make the best of in terms of using your breaks well, your lunch well. You know, I think you can make better use of your non-work time right no that makes sense that, that i and that, i guess i think about that a lot as you know because kim you and I, I mean let's be honest you and i have desk jobs i mean yeah. we just get to work from home but i'm on the computer all the time and i know you are as well um because yeah. that's just how that's how you operate an e-commerce business mm-hmm. we could maybe we could outsource all this stuff and then we could go you know assemble <laughs> Baka monkeys. I don't know. I, although I've done, I've hand assembled, maybe not necessarily pocket monkeys, but probably hand assembled in the tens of thousands of monkey bars. And I think uh, that ship is safe. <laughs> but well, one of your questions, let's see where to go. So you asked Kim, the question you sent me was what's preventing people from spending time outside. And my number, the number one thing I put was your environment which is I think what you're alluding to right now with that office culture. And I was thinking about it when I was running the gym, I used to run a, it was essentially a CrossFit gym, literally inside an office. Um, You know, people would use it. A a small group of people would use it throughout the day pretty regularly. And we had, we had classes as well. And I also did personal training there, but I guess what I noticed was like, there's that office park environment that kind of light industrial office park that's, you know, it's not like it's horrible, but it's also, it's, it's like the black asphalt. It's not necessarily like the most inviting outdoor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's Mm -hmm. whereas here, or when I say here, I mean, essentially my backyard, I've got essentially open space all the way to Utah in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, 
which is kind of wild to say out loud, but it's the, the resistance is so much less and it's so much more inviting than like that, especially in summer, man. It's like, yeah. again, it's that black asphalt. It's just so hot. It's hard. It's just, it's kind of this, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just, it's not this like inviting garden-esque environment versus, you know, I imagine like, I've never been, but like an Apple campus or Google, maybe it's a little more curated, a little bit more sure. welcoming and encouraging to go outside, you know? Well, and I think but- even when it comes to like commute time, that can play a part. Cause like my, you know, it's like, even if you want to ride bike to work, if you're working in like a customer facing job or a professional job, you can't just show up like covered in sweat like you have to have a way to change your clothes potentially even to take a shower depending how long your commute is before you can even work so then you have to build that time into your work plan you know which isn't easy for everybody my husband's job they they he's permanent work from home now they closed their office oh really well um but like they had a gym and there were showers and stuff so you could you know bring your workout clothes switch do a workout go for a walk or a bike ride or whatever and then change back but like my my young my oldest kid used to ride his bike to work and he was like, I have to build in so much time so I'm not sweaty when I start work. You know, and then you gotta carry a backpack. It's like, how do you carry a suit in your backpack if that's what you have to wear for work? You know, true, so even true. that part makes it hard. You're making me think of I talked about that the blog, Mr. Money Mustache. I think that was last week or even the week yep. before, but I guess like what I keep coming back to is it's like a first principle thing. Like if, if the modern office environment has so many barriers to, to health, how do you like, how do we move past that? I think you had a, you made a really good point of like what you do at the time outside of that, or even within it makes sense. But it's like, I just, I I certainly don't have an answer, but I just, that's the question I keep coming back to Mm -hmm. is. Well, and I think that, you know, the the evidence, and that's one of the things Kelly talks about in that Deskbound book, like the whole introduction is like statistics about like the studies on sitting and the impact on them. You know, it was, you know, it's, what did he say? Something like, like 90 to 95% of kids before they get to second grade shift their natural ability to run because of the time they spend in the classroom in one year. And so it's like, I think the evidence is so heavy that school and work needs to do better. I I think that they need, if they're going to require office work, they need to provide more opportunities for their employees to be able to, to have standing desks, to be able to get up and walk around, you know, to have more movement breaks instead of just their 30 minute lunch or whatever. Right. I guess kind of my, my perspective on it was maybe it's like a, that's one side of the coin. I, I was also, I guess, pondering on, is it more of a, a personal choice thing? Like, mm-hmm. do you just need to say, Hey, like, you know, I don't actually need a six figure salary or whatever it happens to be. It's like, I, I can be okay with less to have essentially more time. Like if you want to have this lifestyle and have three cars and a second home, like it's hard to do that. And still kind of have that other side of the the health spectrum if that makes sense i you know i i've got i'm just thinking of friends that you know they're super successful financially 
you know, on paper, everything looks great, but like, you know, we go on a trail run or we chat kind of one-on-one. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. It just doesn't sound like it's working too well from like a quality of life standpoint. You know, it's almost like, um, it's almost like this weird opposite end of the spectrum of, if you think about health span, you know, it's like there's living a long amount of time, but there's, uh, health span versus lifespan in the sense of the quality of life. There's kind of that it's analogous in a way to, I guess the affluent high paying job lifestyle on paper, things can look good. And, you know, your Instagram feed from your vacation to Portugal now is where all the cool kids are going. Oh, but it's like, what's, what's in between the lines there? You know, I just, that's what I'm thinking about a lot. So yeah. Yeah. You really do have to prioritize. And it's like, what's it worth? And I think it's, I think generally, and I don't know if it's just, you know, here in the US or if it's a global thing or if it's just a human thing, like we don't think long-term very well. You know, it's like in, in that, in Kelly's book, one of the stats he says is that if you look at it from a, you know, this activity shortens your lifespan, sitting is actually worse than smoking. It, it the, the quote, and I don't know how they figure these things out. It's always super interesting to me. But what he said is that for every hour beyond three hours a day that you spend sitting, like, and not active sitting, you know, like sitting in a desk chair or a recliner decreases your lifespan by 21 minutes for every hour. So if you're working an eight hour desk job, supposedly you lost 80 minutes of your life in one day of work. So it's like, I don't know how they figure that or how that works out, but I thought, well, that's pretty crazy. Gosh, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'd be curious to see that like visually presented, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Kim, going back, we went, we took a journey, which I think was awesome. (laughs) Going back to the original premise of the sitting on the ground and mobility, I just, I I guess what I noticed was like, there was so much variety and like, you know, I I squat all the time. I take squat breaks regularly, Um, but just even squatting by the stream to pump water, you know, kind of having to balance on rocks like that change and then making dinner, you know, just mm-hmm. so much more time in that position, but then different kind of related positions. I just, it's like the amount of variety you get in that natural environment. It's just ex- exponential compared to, I, I just, now I'm at home. I'm like, I made mm-hmm. breakfast this morning. It's like, oh, I could either stand at the counter and eat or sit on the ground. I chose to sit on the ground to nice. honor the wildness that I had just uh, experienced. But it just, um, it's such a stark contrast. And then seeing Henley, you know, run around and just the way she, it, like, what did I write down? It was, hold on a second. Where are my notes here? It was, oh. Kim asked what was the most fun part of our trip. So it was observing. I said, the number one was observing a human in the wild. (laughs) And it was just seeing her the way she moves and explores and just doesn't really have any limitations. Mm -hmm. It was really fascinating to, to really witness, you know, cause she's four and, like three quarters now, four and a half, four and three quarters. So she's at that age where she's a little more physically capable, a lot more physically capable. I could say, cause she hiked, she hiked four miles carrying probably 
I don't know, seven, eight pounds. I mean, it wasn't a light <laughs> backpack. I tried, I, she, she, she took her heavy stuffy. Like I couldn't convince her to take the, the light one, <laughs> which I appreciate. But yeah, just the, um, where did I, I was listening, maybe this was a podcast, but I was listening to someone talk about, I think it was Japanese furniture, how it's totally oh, yep. essentially designed for the floor sitting environment. That'd mm. be, I haven't researched it, but I'd be curious to see what it looks like to outfit a home with that. But it's like, you don't really need that much. Mm-hmm. It's almost like if you want it to save money and be more minimalist, it's like minimalist. The f- the floor lifestyle is kind of conducive to that, you know? Yeah. Should we go on to uh, another? We should do, let's uh, pull up one, a, a Kim topic. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you think we should start? Should we just go down the list? Sure. So Kim asked, first question was, are stretching and mobility work the same thing? So I would say stretching and flexibility are essentially synonymous. And from like a exercise physiology standpoint, so flexibility or stretching, you would be thinking about working on the lengthening of a muscle, whereas mobility, typically you're thinking about the movement and range of motion of a joint. So you can think about it as Muscle flexibility and joint mobility is maybe that's a better way to talk about it. And I'd say they're kind of, um, they're very, they're very much integrated, but they also can be approached kind of mutually exclusive as well. But I I think a well-rounded program would certainly include both. And they do have, um, very different, the training modalities you would use for each would be. I guess very different. Whereas mobility is going to be more dynamic, whereas whoa, whoa whereas stretching is going to be more. Uh, that's like your static hold, you know, mm-hmm. in general. But so, Kim, your next question or your next topic? What I'll I'll let you preface these and then sure. I'll respond, and then I I'd love to hear your responses as well. Yeah, no, I was I was thinking I just randomly was thinking about the difference because like I. Sometimes they're used interchangeably, but it's like, what are they really the same? And I'd agree with you. That makes a lot of sense that stretching is more muscle focused versus joint focused, but obviously they have a lot to do with each other. Um, One of the things we've had this in our challenges for a while, the sub challenge of a digital diet or avoiding your phone and devices for like 15 minutes after you get up, it seems to have a pretty big impact when people talk about it. You know, they talk pretty heavily about how different their mindset is if they do that, even just the 15 minutes. So my question was, why do you think avoiding your phone or devices in the morning makes such a big difference? Like, it seems to have a big impact. I'm curious exactly why. Well, so I read these questions this morning and what it made me think of was I kind of, my response was, well, is any input should, should you try and kind of minimalize, minimalize input in the morning as far as like any sort of external media or anything that's going to kind of influence the trajectory of your work, your day, et cetera. And kind of from my own personal perspective is my, 
routine was to get outside, go for a run, go for a ruck, walk, whatever. And I'd listen to a podcast, typically like a business podcast. Mm -hmm. And the problem was like, you listen to a different one every day. There's a different topic, a different kind of like takeaway from it. So, so you're constantly, you're just running all these different directions with your mind. You're Mm -hmm. not, you're not focused. It's like maybe listen to one a month and then do the one thing from that for a month, then listen to the next one. You know, it's like, it feels like you're working or it feels like you're being productive in a way because you're taking in this information that could be used beneficially, but there's just, there's not enough time in the day to make it happen, you know? Yeah. And there's, there's so much information, you know, it's like, I can read something and be like, wow, like that's really impactful. That's something I want to do. And two days later, there's something that's completely different and new. And it's like, trying to put all that together and like prioritize the things that actually you have the time for consistently and move the needle the most is hard. There's that's, you know, I love that we have access to so much information, but it's hard to prioritize it. Oh, totally. But to to answer your question specifically, I actually found an awesome article from the medium that really outlined it well, but there was three main reasons why to avoid your phone in the morning. The first one was it's likely going to increase stress and anxiety. Number two is you're essentially letting your time and attention being hijacked. So you're, for example, email, it's making you, your mind focus on responding to a certain person, et cetera. It puts you in this kind of reactive mindset. Mm -hmm. And then the third is it primes your brain for distraction for the rest of the day. Oh, sure. And so if we kind of go back through these individually, it's like the increased stress anxiety. It's like you open your email first thing in the morning, you see a bunch of stuff, you see a bunch of fires essentially. And you're like, you immediately start going into problem solving mode, which is essentially like a low level fight or flight. If you think about it. So you're you're immediately eliciting this stress response first thing in the morning. And I can feel it physically. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I notice it more and more now, but it's like, it's a physical reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I I get the same sensation. And the crazy thing is that if that's how I start the day, my response to those situations isn't as good as it would have been if I would have taken the time to, you know, get my mindset right and collect myself and then go into it. Like even my, my, the way that I would problem solve it is different later if I wait versus, you know, that immediate, you know, I'm like a lot of people, I use my phone for my alarm And like, I have to be really careful because it's so easy to just be in a habit. Like you have your phone in your hand, all of a sudden it's like, what's happening on Facebook? What's happening on NBC News? And then you're just, that's like, that's like it. Like the, you know, you're off and running for the day at that point if you don't consciously avoid it. Oh yeah. And I think what's important for people to realize is you're essentially battling the smartest people money can buy to hijack your neurobiology with the reward uh, dopamine reward system. I mean, mm-hmm. you can trick yourself into believing all you want that you're not, you know, affected by social media or ads or anything like that, but it's just, you're lying to yourself, you know? So it's, it's not your fault necessarily because it's, we're all biological beings. And again, you have extremely intelligent people getting paid a shit ton of money to figure out how to hijack that. So it's just, it's important to be aware of, you know, and when you think about it that way, it's like, you're letting basically other people direct your mindset, your thoughts. Don't let them. And then the, 
the priming for distraction to me that's just my interpretation is that is you're kind of you're greasing the wheels essentially of that dopamine reward system of again like social media is the best example you scroll a little bit in the morning ooh what's what's this going on what's this going on and uh just kind of sets that moment it's hard to you get in that reward cycle and it it's uncomfortable to break i think mm-hmm. but yeah it's again i don't know where that threshold is like what mm-hmm. i like the 15 minutes that's nice i mean maybe it's maybe it's better to get some tasks done that don't require external input first i don't know I, that's maybe a another conversation to marinate on and think about more but it's good yeah. to be aware of at least for sure um what was the next one Oh, it said, um, we often talk about movement and exercise and the differences between them. It seems like ruck, walking along with its sibling ruck, rucking can offer a perfect balance of both movement and exercise. Is that accurate? And how how much could we accomplish for our health goals if we did those two things specifically? I mean, I think the data is pretty, pretty strongly suggests that simply walking alone can do a ton for your health. I guess my question would be like, you know, if you're, if you're doing nothing, you start walking kind of anything's gonna, gonna help. Right. So maybe for someone that's a little farther along their health and fitness journey, how to think about this, how to approach it. I mean, my answer is like if you just walked and you just rucked, like maybe you do a walk day, ruck day, you alternate, you're going to be crushing it. I mean, you're, you're winning for sure. Is it the quote unquote optimal setup? I guess what I wrote is you're probably missing you. you if you just did those things, you, the main thing I saw missing was like a range of motion practice or mobility sure, practice, yeah. you know, cause it's, you're essentially doing the same very repetitive motion. That's, obviously very good for you but if you weren't doing you know maybe a yoga practice or stretching regularly or something that required more mobility and range of motion that to me would be potentially the biggest gap you know sure i guess too it's the upper body strength right those are obviously very leg intensive the wrecking would you know you're loading axially meaning you're loading kind of Think about pressing down on your spine, your skeleton that way, but you're not necessarily using much your upper body, which that would probably be the second hole I saw. Sure. But again, if those are the base and then you're doing, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy. Let's say you rucked or walked every day and then you did some rows on pocket monkey, a few push-ups, maybe press over your head a little bit. That would be... I think I muted myself. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that's it. Simple. Simple and works. For sure. Um so when I was a kid, we had fitness standards for gym every fall and every spring. We had to take like a fitness test and they would check to see if you improved. That was kind of how they judged our fitness classes. I think we did sit-ups. We did push-ups, 
we did pull-ups or arm hang and then we did the shuttle run and a mile run and so we had to do those five things and that's how they judged how our fitness classes were doing but what like if we were to have them for adults what would you think that they should cover if we were to set up here's what adults should aim for to be able to do and what the standard should be like what do you think that would look like I've thought about this a lot, actually, and there's a an awesome documentary. You can kind of see there's there's like maybe a five minute clip that pretty much sums it up. It's called the La Sierra Project, La Sierra, which is S I E R R A, and it was this fitness program in the '60s. I believe it was kind of a Kennedy initiative, but it was it was this pretty rigorous fitness program, and they had these different standards, and it was really cool the way they did it. To answer your question specifically, Kim, my the notes I have in my response was, I think it's less about like a specific exercise, more so it is, is having proxies for different types of fitness. So what I put was, a, you would want to have a proxy for VO2 max, lower body strength, upper body strength, power, balance, stress, which I think that's that's going to be harder to measure objectively, but I think that's very I think it's a lot more important than we appreciate. And then the last one was mobility slash flexibility. I think just put those two together. And a few nuances of that would be it's got to be it's relative to the individual. So there's you could look at it as like, you know, if your VO two max is above this threshold, it puts you in the top whatever 20 percent of people on like a bell curve. I think how I would approach it is let's take a baseline and see how we can improve these things. Sure. But I think what's also important to understand or think about too, is it's, it's going to depend on your training age, meaning how long have you been training or exercising in a way that would affect these things? Like if you're coming completely off the couch, like you're going to have, you kind of have this like endless runway, right? at least especially during the beginning because you're you're essentially starting at zero and it's much you get the newbie gains it's awesome mm-hmm. but if you've been training or exercising your whole life you're probably going to see more decline actually right so sure. it's like i was thinking about this if you look at my mom and you look at me my like maximum lifts vo2 max all these things they're going to be declining slowly for the next however long i live but my mom who's been you know, in the last year or two, starting to really exercise more regularly, at least from what I'm seeing, she could be getting stronger every year. Sure. Does that make sense? Because we have these yeah, totally yeah. different training age um, trajectories. So my my the way to kind of rectify that, I thought, was you got to keep it relative to your age, and you also need to think about like what are your PRs, your your personal records for like a trailing 12 to 24 months. Sure. That makes sense. So instead of being like, when I was in college, I could squat, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that, that Dan doesn't exist anymore. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you have any that you were excited about or you thought would be unique or fitting for league of wildness? For like a fitness standard thing? Yeah. Um, 
I guess it's interesting to me to think back and think that everything that we judged fitness by was running and like sit-ups, right, right, <laughs> you know, right. and it was like, it wasn't even like a good, like form was not a thing. No one cared anything about form. You know, everybody's doing their push-ups with their, with their backs, you know, like this <laughs> and doing their sit-ups like a kid would sit on your feet and, you know, you used momentum, you know, you weren't even using, you know, good form and proper muscles and stuff. So, and right on the hard gym floor, you know, just laying on your back doing sit-ups with someone sitting on your feet. So it was kind of funny just to think that that, that was what, you know, the best test we had at the time for, for doing fitness. I think, I think that there's benefit to adding, you know, specifically like, like sprinting, like I think Mm -hmm. like a shuttle run, I think is a good, you know, I think it's a, a decent metric to have. I think it's something that we don't, you know, unless you're an athlete that you don't, most people don't do once they're adults. You know, totally. the kids do it constantly, you know, they're sprinting all the time. You know, it's always funny to me when they're trying to get kids to not run in school, but they're like sprinting the steps three at a time and tearing down the hallway. It's like, that's probably good for them. Don't let them go. Totally. There's a, uh, in the endurance community, kind of altering community, there's this kind of shift towards doing totally going to butcher like the the exercise science of it but it's essentially you're doing this more high intensity running you could you could basically consider it sprinting but it's you're not crossing this threshold and the way they're they're determining that is basically your blood lactate level and essentially it's kind of what you're describing with kids where they're doing these little bursts but they're never going to exhaustion they just kind of self-regulate whereas if you look at the fitness industry, especially like the group class boot camp kind of mindset or um, culture environment, it's basically you're going to exhaustion every day, which I don't know if that's necessarily that if you think about it, at least from an evolutionary perspective, it would only make sense to do that if you're like chasing down, you know, a woolly mammoth. Mm-hmm it's worth going to exhaustion to chase down the woolly mammoth and get that food source. Right. But doing it to chase down like a squirrel or just cause you think you need to get some exercise. I don't know if that makes sense to do regularly. Sure. Um, not that you should never do it, but it's like, if that's what you're doing every day, ah, I don't know, you know, but the point yeah. I'm trying to make is, and I've noticed this myself training, like, there, there's a way you can push intensity, get in great training sessions, but you, you essentially don't cross this threshold so you can do more volume and recover faster. And that's, that's kind of what they're noticing from measuring these blood lactate levels, doing this, essentially this interval work is for endurance athletes, they're able to do more volume at higher intensities, but also recover faster because they're, they're not going to that level 12, 13, if that makes sense. Sure. I saw one of Andrea's comments that I thought was a good mention. She said, also just a walk with proper standing and walking since so few people have correct body posture. Mm. And it's crazy, but I mean, it's true for sure that, I mean, that's one of the things where Kelly mentioned about the kids in their, um, when they started doing their research for this book is that kids, when they go into kindergarten, like their, their running posture is natural. Like they, they just run normally, like 
they're, they're kind of like professional sprinters as far as their form and how they go about it. And then by the time they get halfway through first grade, the majority of them change from like what would be a natural strike to a heel strike. And they, when they dug into it, they found it specifically because of the shortening and like their hip flexors and stuff from sitting in school all day, Mm. you know? And it's like, I wonder how much that has to do with just the overall impact, you know, how much that impacts our posture altogether. You know, it's like when you spend so much time in like, like Katie always talks about like the shapes of your like muscles and your body and stuff. It's like when your shape for eight hours is to sit hunched over the computer, it's super uncomfortable to like go into a normal posture. Like it, it hurts. It doesn't feel good anymore. So like, it, it's kind of crazy, but our, like our lifestyles have led to us. Like we can't breathe correctly. We can't walk correctly. And those are like the two most natural things of being human and we can't do them. Right. Right. Well, and it's, very much aligns with the the principle of said so it's s-a-i-d which is specific adaptation to impose demands which that's really from strength conditioning in the sense of if you want someone to get stronger they need to lift heavy weights like your body's gonna adapt to the stresses placed upon it what you're making me think of kim is the body's adapting in a way because it's adapting mm-hmm. to the work environment it, work environment excuse me or at least it's adapting to the environment that we're placing the body in most of the time. And maybe that's the most efficient way to be in that particular environment. So the body in a weird way is adapting, but when you go out into an environment where you want to move in this way, that's more, I guess, quote unquote, natural, the body is very maladapted to that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, we, what we spend the majority of our time doing is what our bodies adapt to. I think that's part that goes into that quote from Kelly from earlier, where he says, you know, it doesn't matter if you spend an hour every day hard working at the gym, if the rest of the time is sitting in a chair, because it, you know, your balance is 23 hours of seated or prone position and one hour of you know, even if it's really good activity, the balance is too far off. Oh, yeah. So that your, your adaptation still comes to that other side. And like in that same chapter, he talked about because he's, you know, he's a professional PT. He's worked with the military and all that stuff. But he was working with college students who they, they had prime nutrition, prime, prime sleep, mental health resources. They had stress management, like all of those pieces should have been perfect, but they were still suffering injuries. And it was because they were spending 12 hours a day doing homework and sitting in the classroom. And so when they started focusing on tipping the balance more the other direction, their injuries went away. Yeah, I was just thinking of that because when I was in college, I was a college athlete. You know, I'd probably spend three to five hours a day between on-field time, weight room time, uh, stretching video, whatever. But then the rest of that time I was at the library and a classroom, like, and yeah, I was still, you were still quote unquote exercising for several hours a day, but like you didn't do anything else. I just, I was stiff, sore. I, I got injured way more back then than I do now. And in hindsight, it's so obvious, you know, why? 
Zachary had an awesome quote, Quasimodo chic, as I like to call it. <laughs> uh, well, even, even right now, it's like my, my tendency is to kind of lean forward. I have to force myself to kind of pull mm-hmm. back. Yeah. I am standing on stoic though. Chelps. I liked your, uh, let's see. Well, I'm going to let you go through uh, the next questions. Yeah, I guess, I mean, kind of in summary, for fitness standards and all that, I think that's something it'd be fun to explore more specifically and think about, Yeah, you know, create a list of proxies for, okay, here's some ways you can measure VO2 max, do what's best for you. Maybe it's running a mile, maybe it's, you know, using a bike, maybe it's rocky, you know, who knows, but um, things like that. Yeah. So the last one, cause we kind of caught the other ones in the middle of our other questions is if you were going to prescribe in quotations, three stretches and three exercises to do daily because they make the biggest difference. What would they be difference being whatever you think it should make? It could be, you know, overall range of motion or whatever. So my three stretches were just a squat hold. So dropping into a deep squat, the pancake stretch or straddle stretch is essentially it's sitting on the floor. So sitting on your butt with your legs spread wide and folding forward. Mm-hmm. And then the third one was a dead hang just off a pull-up bar. Oh, nice. And that the dead hang ones actually, I've really incorporated that maybe the last maybe year or so maybe two years. It's hard to remember, but, um, that to me, it's, it's made my back feel way better. It's made my shoulders feel way better because you just never really stretch that way. You're always, yeah. you know, maybe I do yeah. pull-ups, but you never just hang out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I think that's a great point. It's funny. Cause my dad, my dad gets sciatica. It kind of runs in our family and he went to his sister-in-law is like, I don't know if she does PT or if she's a chiropractor. She does something in the physical therapy world. And she had, that's what she told him. She said, find something to hang off of and pick your feet up off the ground. And so he goes in the garage and hangs off the beam in his garage. And he's like, and never come back. He said, I do that every day. I go out and I hang from the garage beam and it's never come back since. Oh yeah. It's, I can feel it. I can feel the decompression. Yep. Yep. It's wild. It, it, you kind of have to give it. It's like, you know, three, five seconds. You, you don't feel it. It's once you get to maybe that like 15, 20 second mark is when I really start to notice it. And as Kim said, you don't. So or what I, what I would add to that as well is you don't necessarily have to be hanging with your feet totally off the ground with your whole mm-hmm. body weight. That's hard. Yeah. yeah. You could just lightly rest, like even just one foot. Mm-hmm. And you'll still feel that. It's, oh, yeah. it's awesome. Three exercises. What I wrote down was push-ups, rows, slash pull-ups. I would put those as synonymous and then squats. And I would say, I would even break it down just to be even more general in the sense of if you did a pushing exercise a pulling exercise and some sort of squatting exercise, and if I won't break the rules, I'll keep it three. I was going to add hinge, like a deadlift type thing. But if you just did those three things, And it's not like you have to do the exact same version of it. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's why I like the press pull squat because there's so many different ways to mix it up. I mean, that's 
kind of what I do most of the time. Pretty much every day I'll do some sort of pulling, some sort of pressing, some sort of squatting, at least as kind of like a range of motion type of work. And then maybe there's a more formal session off that, but it's, they're simple. It's simple and it works. Sorry to, sorry, I don't have anything more exciting. No, but I think like, I think they're a good basis because they also like they hit your core so well that you don't even really have to do like focused core work necessarily because they all will engage that whole, you know, your whole core too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, these are good questions. It's fun. Uh, I like doing, it's fun for me just to kind of do the free association and so it comes to mind and I like, I think as humans, like pattern recognition is so, it's such an integral part of like just the human mind. I, having questions like that, it helps me recognize patterns. So I appreciate mm-hmm. it. We had some really good comments here while we were yeah. chatting. So let's see here. Oh, Andrea Walker said the, the cow pose or child's pose and boat pose would be some stretches slash exercises she would excuse me would be some stretches slash exercises she recommends that's actually something i've been doing well i guess it's been wheel you know what i'm talking about like the, the back bend yep yep it's not every day but i've been trying to do that you know that's maybe a see my average is probably three to five days a week i'll get into and i'll do like five to seven of them after a proper warm-up and all that sure <laughs> Zachary, great pun as always. Hang out there. Oh, okay. Zachary did bring up a good point. He says, breathe in the stretch, nice, deep, slow, and controlled. I've noticed that. And that's actually something I got. I think it was Pavel Hatsulin. He's this kind of Russian strength guru. He's been on Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan podcast, all those guys, but he's very like stick to the basics, very. Just solid, solid strength and conditioning advice. But he talked about stretching, how important it is to breathe and relax. Cause I noticed myself like, like gripping and having all this tension. You know what I mean? And even Kelly Starrett talks about that, like the pain face. You want to yeah. be calm and relaxed versus you don't want stretching to be associated with pain and discomfort. Cause the body, that in a way can make the body not want to assume that position. Mm-hmm. Kim, can I add a couple more from uh, the most fun from our backpacking yeah. trip? So for those of you just tuning in and just uh, a reminder, so I took my daughter, we did, we did a five-day trip, three days, we hiked into these canyons. She hiked four miles by herself at four and like three quarters, and she carried like a legit amount of weight. And we had to cross... The, the canyon kind of got narrow and narrow, deeper and deeper. And there's a stream we had to constantly cross back and forth. It was just it was so much fun. It was, it was just like a playground for her. So that was just, yeah, having her in that environment was so much fun. But there's these old, like when I say old, like 2000 year old cliff dwelling ruins in this canyon that you can only get there oh, by wow. hiking to it. So it's like we get down there and like 200 feet up, there's 
a house that someone had built on this cliff and there's an old ladder, how they used to get up there. It's just wild. Like nice. it was just to see, you know, I remember studying this like in elementary school, but seeing it in person was just next level. You know, it was, it was wild. So we, and what's cool there is you actually get to go like explore the ruins, not just observe from afar. Sure. Nice. <sighs> But actually, Kim, one thing I want to bring up to you is, so where the ruins are, it's also the best campsite. And it's obvious why. It's kind of a bench. You're up a little bit. You have this awesome view, but you can't camp there, which I understand why that exists. They don't want idiots to come there and destroy these things. I understand. However, I was thinking about it the history of this area, people have been camping there for at least 2000 years, probably more. So why can't we keep camping there? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. We, we get the same stuff here and it's funny because people, people will do it anyways. <laughs> they, right. You know, it's like we have a place that's, that's a really nice beach area that is the bottom of a waterfall. And you know, if you go walk on that shoreline after a storm, you can still find arrowheads from. Oh, wow from native people and stuff. And so it, it's been heavily used for a very long time as just a, a good stopping area, a good place for lunch, a good place to, you know, set up camp for a while, but you're not supposed to camp there, but people do anyways. Cause they find remains of their fires all the time. Oh, sure, <laughs> so sure. They're just like, we don't, we don't care. We're going to do it anyhow. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, like, yeah. It, it's, it's hard. Like we get, we have quite a lot of those sites here because we're like, this area was part of like the fur trade mm. into Canada and stuff. And like it, like, like you said, I get why too. Like there used to be like in the woods here, you could find like, there used to be like native burial sites and stuff and you, sure. you know, like decorate them with, with pipes and, and other of their traditional items. And they all got stolen. Oh, you know, sure. and, and people will go, they'll ransack and destroy stuff just for the sake of doing it. I don't know that camping makes that more likely, but like, at least here, like we get, if someone's going to cause trouble when they're camping, it's because they're drinking most of the sure, time. Sure. And then that's when they, you know, lose their normal behavior. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I get, I get, I totally get there's cultural reasons. I totally get there's assholes that exist in the world, but at the same time, it's like, the, it's obvious why these are the best campsites. So it, that was yeah. just, yeah. I, it was more of just a um, amusing reflection to think about, but yeah. it was, yeah. it was just, it was super cool. Shout out to John Gertz for the recommendation, by the way, he did this uh, trip when he was a kid with his parents. So he had suggested that I take my kids. So I was, I'm psyched. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Just, oh, man, it was, My, I, I just felt so good just not not having internet access was really good for my mental health and peace yeah. of mind yep. so but it's good but at the same time this is awesome what we're doing now so it's all balance for sure and on that note so we just finished 21 days another 20 what challenge is this number seven number eight Oh, I remember um, the Ocho. It doesn't really matter, but we're at least seven or eight deep now. And uh, League of Wildness, just thank you guys for 
continuing to be the best group online. So we appreciate you guys. We're inspired by you guys and we'll keep the conversation going. We're going to take, we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus. Kim and I are going to kind of rework things in the sense of how we're going to do these challenges to have a more like ongoing, essentially program that allows new people to come in, but also gives you guys the seasoned wild folks a way to keep progressing. So we're excited to launch that and announce that. And we'll definitely be, well, so that will be, that will kind of coincide with the one year anniversary of the League of Wildness. So we'll do our summer solstice challenge, June 1st through June 21st. And that will kind of kick off the momentum for the next kind of phase of how we're going to approach these. So on that, I'll let Kim announce our ultimate winners. You guys have a wild day. And uh, again, we'll keep you guys updated and just thank you guys. We appreciate it. Awesome. So all three of the winners for the, the ultimate challenge for this challenge are people who've been, they've been part of the challenges for a while now. They've been super consistent across multiple challenges They're tackling sub challenges um they share you know they're they're basically veterans at this point a lot of them so they're sharing their information with the group and i just find them awesome additions and i'm glad that they've hung around for so long um also to know if the prize you get happens to be something you already have when you email just shoot the email over and if you want you know we can work on something else if there's something else you have in mind so don't feel like you have to take something that you already have um, so the first prize is for the evolution of wildness. The prize is a pocket monkey two, and it's awarded to the wild person who makes the most dramatic change in their mindset lifestyle and has radically expanded their mindset of what's possible. And that goes to Linda Mack. Um, she's been awesome about sharing like her struggles, like to get you know, to have to get out, like, instead of it being something she has to do, it's turning into something she enjoys. And she's come a long ways on that front. Like I was reading through all of her posts, and she talked a lot about, you know, I didn't want to go out today, but I did it anyways. And she continues to do that, which I think is awesome. Isn't that just interject real quick, isn't that fascinating how you can turn something that you potentially even used to loathe into something that you crave, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, the next one is the heart of the wild. The prize for that is a set of the stoic surfaces and it's awarded to the wild person who's taken the idea of wildness and made it their own and is crafting a life in pursuit of daily wildness. And for this challenge, it goes to Brian Barnett, who I believe is on. Right. Yeah. Um, Brian is he's fully adopted the wild mindset. You know, I love that he signed when he signs off, he says, you know, wild Brian. I think that's a great way to keep, you know, keep your wild mindset in place. And he does great sharing his successes and his challenges. And I love that he makes videos. I think they're a fun addition. Yeah. Brian, you the man, you the wild man. Congrats. Appreciate it. And the same, Linda, you'd sent me a note a week or two ago now, but congrats to both you guys. It's uh we just appreciate you guys being a part of the league. So thank you. Sure. And then our final prize is for the spirit of the wild, which is a monkey 360. And for that award, the person has become a leader in the group by setting an example for others through their actions and encouraging words. And this went to Don Adams. 
Oh yeah. Um, I love seeing the way that she balances things out. Like she, she's had, from what I can tell, looks to have a really good balance in terms of how she manages her life and her time outside. You know, she makes the most of the time she has to spend, which is awesome. Congrats, Dawn. I don't want it to end. <laughs> Where do we go from here? League of Wildness, congratulations to our winners. Thank you guys for another awesome challenge. Thank you guys for your energy, your enthusiasm, your wildness. It's just, yeah, can't thank you guys enough. So like we said, Kim and I will be updating you guys here before the next challenge, but mark your calendars, June 1st. We got to set the momentum for summer, bring in the heat, which some of you guys may be experiencing already for those of you that live at lower latitudes. But if not, we're going to really use this next challenge to kick off kind of a new evolution to the League of Wildness, to Wild Gym, and we're super excited. So thank you guys for being a part of it. Much love. We'll see you out there. Thank you, League of Wildness, for tuning in to the Live Wild or Die podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be eternally grateful if you could leave us a five-star review. And also, please help us spread the good word of the wild. Share the Live Wild or Die podcast with your friends. There's, I think, some fancy apps out there where you can kind of take a clip of the episode, share it on social media. You'll look awesome. You'll look wild. So much love, guys. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you out there.